0: One year ago, on March the 29th, we kicked off an initiative called BEYOND. for those of you who don't know, BEYOND is this two-year journey of increased generosity to multiply our church's kingdom impact. Now, we just began asking God to do immeasurably more beyond what we could ever ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. So we locked arms together so that we could move beyond. And what a year it has been. Like, there was so much that was set against us. But we knew it wasn't time to hold our ground, but time to take new ground. And through it all, God has increased our faith. We have taken new ground and seeing lives changed, hearts restored, and Jesus elevated. You know, one way we wanted to move beyond was to move beyond church. We wanted to pour gas on the fire of our now generation ministries. Because of your generosity, we've seen explosive growth in our student ministry. In the middle of the pandemic, we sent 113 students to PAUSE, our weekend winter retreat. At PAUSE 2021, students gave their lives to Jesus. Man, they were on their knees in worship and they encountered the spirit of God like never before. You know, coming back from PAUSE, a group of students committed to praying here every single day, asking God to bring revival to wake. What we saw happen after that was amazing. For six weeks straight, we had student baptism services and 28 students got baptized. And the worship culture has drastically changed. Students are now teaching and leading the way. A group of our high school students even started gathering here every Monday night to lead their very own church services together. You know, also during the summer when most people were pulling back, we kept pushing forward with our Camp Arrowhead. Our doors were open all summer long. We saw over 800 kids come to camp and experience life with Jesus. 64 kids heard the gospel and gave their lives to Christ. And we're expecting so much more for this year's camp. Listen, because of your generosity, we've seen our belief that the now generation aren't the leaders of tomorrow, but they are the leaders of today. Come to life. You know, we wanted to move beyond here. You know, we had this vision of launching five campuses over the next five years. And the first one that we launched was Elevate City Church down in Sandy Springs, Georgia. You know, six months ago, on October the 4th of 2020, Elevate City launched like the SpaceX rocket ship Millennium Falcon. And they started a movie theater in the heart of Sandy Springs. And they have experienced growth ever since. They had three services on Christmas Eve. They added services, they outgrew the movie theater, and now they've moved into a hotel. Listen, I've been so proud of their boldness to reach their city. Leading up to Easter, they met for 21 days straight of night church so that the early story of Elevate City would read like the story of the early church. 21 days of night church concluded with the largest service in Elevate City's history on the day of their six month anniversary. We've also broken ground on our third campus. We're partnering with Compassion International to launch a compassion church in Chinandega, Nicaragua. We recently started construction, and we're postured to see God create generational impact among the least and the lost and the marginalized in Nicaragua. You know, we also wanted to move beyond now. We want to make sure that the Stone Creek story is still being written 20 years from now. When we launched Beyond, we knew we had to step further into the digital space. You know, online is the new missional frontier. And when the pandemic hit, we were poised to move fast. We purchased equipment and we pivoted our ministry strategy to engage the online-only world. Man, we saw God give us the opportunity to grow our online viewer base, to see people raise their hands to follow Jesus. And we were able to give our best to take the online experience to the next level. We also wanted to go beyond us. Man, our prayer is that the impact of Beyond will extend far beyond anything that our own eyes will ever see. At the end of Beyond, we're giving 10% of all over and above giving to our outside ministry partners, such as She is Safe, Vision Atlanta, and others. We wanna see the light of the gospel continue to move to the ends of the earth. We are believing, Stone Creek, that the best is still yet to come for the city of Milton, and Sandy Springs, and Chinedaigua, and other areas all over the globe. We cannot wait to see all that God has in store as we just continue to go beyond for this next year. Stone Creek, this is just a snapshot of all that God has done through your generosity. In one of the craziest years of our lives, let's continue to dream together that God wants to do beyond anything that we could dream or imagine so that the life-saving stories of transformation will continue to be written and told in eternity. Let's go, let's go, let's go, come on. Let's take a minute just to celebrate that, man. Just what an incredible year that we've had since we launched Beyond. I know a lot of you weren't here uh, at that time, but let's just take, I just want to take just a minute just to celebrate that, man, because we have seen God do so much over the last year. Uh, Watching that made me a little tired. I didn't realize we did so much, right? But uh, man, what an incredible year. And it's because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity. You know, as you know, as we launched this uh, Beyond initiative about a year ago, we just had this dream that God wanted to take what was happening happening here and for us to be able to multiply in different places around the globe and in our city. And so we had met and planned and dreamed and we were geared up and we, you know, the bullet was loaded and then all of a sudden COVID hit. And so we had to ask ourselves a question, you know, God, what are you up to? What are we doing? What do we do? What are our next steps? And we just had this firm conviction that God wanted us to plow forward. And so we did. And you guys are a part of doing that and those lives that have been changed. You know, I, is uh, we were watching the video earlier and um, my wife, as we got towards the end, she was like, how many takes was that for you? Like, cause I wasn't crying yet, but you see it got to me at the end. Um, but man, if I could just begin to tell you stories about what's happening, um, whether, you know, in Sandy Springs or around the world, for instance, is it's Elevate City launched and Uh, They moved into the hotel. There was a lady who came to stay at the hotel and stumbled into one of the services one night. And during the service, she raised her hand to follow Jesus and is now watching online um, uh, somewhere else in the United... Yeah, come on. And listen, that's because of your generosity, right? That's because of your generosity, it's because of what you give. You know, we could talk about the 200 compassion kids that are gonna get sponsored and the you know, 1,500 uh, people that will be directly impacted because of your dollars. And I hope we, we can never lose sight of what it means to be generous of what it means to have an impact, of what it means to live a life that is beyond ourselves. And so we wanna always celebrate that, but today I also wanna challenge us because we are not done. Come on, somebody. Like we are not, you don't want to be done. I don't want to be done. I know that God is not done. You know, as we look at the early church and as we kind of look at this series that we've been in called Devoted, we know that the early church was a transformational powerhouse. Man, they turned the world upside down. Wherever they went, change happened. People were rescued. People got changed. Families were rejoined. And the reason why is because they were devoted to certain habits and certain practices you see, the early church was so captured by the grace of God that they changed everything. They, they understood the story of the resurrection, that they had forgiveness of sins, that they could be transformed from who they were to who God wanted them to be, that they could be adopted into the family of God, that they could be seated with him in the heavenly places, that they could move from darkness to light. And they were so captured by and so affected by this, it changed everything about them. And one of the things that it changed about them was probably the primary characteristic that helped them to become a powerhouse of transformation that helped them to become world changers and people who turn the world upside down. And it was their uncommon, unprecedented generosity. They just had this way of just pouring their life out for other people. And let me just say this, man, th- there was a lot of similarities to their world and ours. Man, we live in a world that could use some hope. And every time we turn on the TV, we find another shooting, another conflict, another problem. And our culture is begging for somebody to point the way forward, begging for someone to give some hope, begging for someone to give some future. And I believe that the church has this this great responsibility and awesome opportunity during this time, don't you? Don't you? As we are devoted to the things that the church is devoted for. Let me just say a couple things. I am going to talk about money today. Are we clear? I, and I get it. I get it. Like a lot of times, you know, you talk about money and the people who may be new or, or first time, maybe you invited somebody. And, and, and I don't think anybody should be surprised that there's going to be times we talk about money. I mean, you go to a restaurant, they want your money, right? You know, your kids on a travel team, it costs you more than you actually signed up for. Amen, somebody. Right? You know, but the reality is it's not about your money. It's about the kind of person you want to be. Right. And let me just ask you this. How do you want to be known? How do you want to be known? Like I, want, I, I think the greatest pleasure in life is being known to be a generous person. I mean, I think that you have more joy. You live with more hope. You live with more purpose. You live with more contentment. You live with more satisfaction. So by the end of the time that we're together, by the end of my preaching at one o'clock, by the end, if you think this is about money, you, you, you missed it. Right. You missed it. It's about the type of person that you are. And if you follow Jesus, it's about you being the type of person that can help turn the world upside down. And I am here to help. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 today. Um, story of the early church is in the book of Acts. Acts is written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor. And so Luke gives us this early story. Um, this is kind of his second book in the New Testament. He wrote the book of Luke about Jesus' life. But he also wrote the book of Acts just about the life of the early church. And so what we see ha- have, that has happened at this point is that the early church has launched. You see that Jesus um, goes into heaven. The early church begins to see the world turned upside down. Some of their leaders get arrested. And then they have this prayer meeting after they get out of prison and check it out. Like, if I just got out of prison, you know what I'm praying for? Not to go back. What about you? Like, (laughs) that's what I'm praying for. But they didn't pray that. They prayed for boldness. So the early church prays for boldness. And after they pray for boldness, we get this snapshot of what their generosity looked like. And then we also get a picture, an illustration from a guy named Barnabas A guy named Barnabas. Let me hear you say Barnabas. Barnabas. Now, Barnabas isn't widely known in the Bible, but he is kind of the prototype for what a generous life looks like. So we get this snapshot and then we get this prototype in Barnabas. And I want to talk a little bit about Barnabas and how we can be like him. Verse 32 of chapter 4. It says, The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So you notice right from the get-go, it starts talking about your heart. Okay, They had one heart. They had this common belief, this common vision. Like, like there is no other way to understand how the church could still be a powerful force 2,000 years later other than to understand they had this one heartbeat. Different kinds of people, different backgrounds, uh, different upbringings, different personalities, different races, different social structures. They all came together with this one heartbeat to see the world change. And it said that they didn't even claim their own things as their own, but they had everything in common. It says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus and grace was upon them all. So you see that they had generosity, they had everything in common. Then you see that the grace was a natural manifestation of their generosity. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And then verse 34, it says this, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Let me just say something about those two verses. Notice these are descriptive, not prescriptive. So, so, what this means is some people will look at that and say, that's kind of feels like, uh, it's kind of like communism, right? They're just going to take and give and whatever. And, and it's not like that. Like, if we were going to do this today, this is what this would look like. We would all pull into the parking lot, we'd leave our keys in the car, and then when we left, we would just pick whatever car we wanted. If we wanted. If you wanted to upgrade today to a Range Rover, you would just go and upgrade to a Range Rover or a Tesla, and you'd drive it home. Actually, you'd drive it to a friend's house who didn't come to church today, and you'd say, Look what you missed. That's what you would do. But that's not what he's saying here. He's just saying their heart was so captured by grace that this was just a natural outpouring of what it meant to follow Jesus. It is descriptive because if they all sell their homes, where are they going to live? You know, if they all, so, so we need to be sure that we understand the context of this, these were people who had some things that they were able to um, uh, give away They were able to kind of get rid of the the asset to give away. And this is what it it is descriptive. And so what we need to see in this is how would this describe our generosity? And what does it look like for us to live this way? So it goes on to give us an example from a guy named uh, Barnabas. It says this. says, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's his nickname. Like, how awesome is that? Like, wouldn't you want that nickname? Son of encouragement. You're such an encourager a Levite, he was a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So so just a little bit about Barnabas and what that means. So he's called son of encouragement. He gets this this nickname, son of encouragement. And and encouragement in the Bible just means that someone who comes alongside and lifts up, okay? Someone who comes alongside and lifts up. And that's that's what Barnabas did. Barnabas was able to encourage people. Now, now, he's mentioned a couple of other times in the New Testament, but this is the first time you see his nickname and they give him this nickname before he gave away any money. Okay. So this is not about what he gave. It's about who he was. So let me give a couple other examples of how he was an encourager and how he lifted people up. There's a guy in the, Old Test- There's a guy in the New Testament, he, he, his name is Paul, but before he was Paul, he was Saul. Anybody heard of Saul in the, in the New Testament? A couple of you people. So, so Saul was uh, a priest, a Pharisee, and when Christianity began to break out, he was vehemently opposed. Man, he was dedicated to persecuting Christians, not only that, dedicated to murdering and executing Christians. Like, pretty bad guy. And so Saul is on his way to Damascus. And the reason he's going to Damascus is because he's got some Christians to persecute. He's got some people to throw in jail. He's got some people to potentially kill. He's on his way to do that. This is his his purpose. And then he has what's called the Damascus road experience. You've heard this, this phrase, a Damascus road experience. What that means is on the road to Damascus to do something mean, violent to Christians, God meets him there. God shakes him up. God rocks his world. And he realizes that he needs to begin to follow Jesus. And so, so when he realizes that, he's, he's blind for a few days. And so he gets away and he's kind of in seclusion. And, and some of the early church leaders find out about this. And, and Saul wants to go and meet with them. And they're like, I don't think so. Like, Like, you were just killing the brothers earlier. Like, we're not not letting the wolf into into the hen house. Like, this is not happening. So Barnabas goes. And Barnabas takes Saul, now Paul, and he vouches for him. He brings him to the early church leaders. And the rest, as they say, is history. Paul became the greatest missionary in the New Testament. Paul wrote most of the book's, of the New Testament and started so many churches and we are natural recipients because Barnabas took Saul and unleashed him into his calling. Like that's what it means to have the gift of encouragement. That's what it means to be a generous person, that you unleash people. You know, there's another example of this in the life of Barnabas. Barnabas had this cousin named Mark. Now, if you've read the Bible, uh, and you may not have, and that's perfectly fine. But if you have, you may have noticed there's a book named Mark in the Bible. Same guy. So he's got this cousin named Mark. So Barnabas and Paul, and they take Mark and they go plant some churches. And while they're planting churches in another country, Mark gets homesick. Anybody ever been homesick before? Right? Mark gets homesick and Mark leaves them. Now, now if you're somewhere doing something hard and somebody deserts you, are you ever taking them back again? Like, I, like, I'm not like if you go with me and you, and you bail on me, I'm out. You know, Jesus has grace. I don't. And so Mark leaves them. And so then when it comes time to do this again, Barnabas is like, hey, Paul, let's, let's take Mark with us this time. Paul's like, I'm out. No, I'm taking Silas. So Barnabas says, all right, that's fine. You and Silas go do your thing. I'm going to take Mark with me. And so after that, what we read in the Bible is that Paul finds himself in prison. And Paul says, hey, will you send to me Mark? Because he's helpful for me in ministry. Mark ends up writing one of the gospels about the life of Jesus. Because Barnabas, the great encourager, man, in his generosity, lifted Mark up and unleashed him into his purpose. Like, don't you want to be that kind of person? Like, Don't you know people that have done that for you? People that would let you go first. Man, people that, that when you were down and out, they pursued you. When no one else would have anything to do with you, they picked you up to let you go first. That they were generous people. Man, don't you want to be the kind of person that passes the caller ID test? You, you know the caller ID test? Let me just, uh, let me just explain it to you. When, when your phone rings, you know that somebody's name comes up, Right? Like, if you don't know the number, you're probably not getting it. But if you see the name, it comes up. You have a decision to make. <laughs> this is the test. You're in the grocery store, you look down and you'll be like, I have not got time for that. Right? <laughs> or you look at it and you're like, oh, what do they want? And then you, you shoot them to the voicemail. You hit the button and send them to the voicemail. By the way, they know you did that, just so you know, right? <laughs> and so you shoot, because you're like, I, I'll deal with that later. Well, Barnabas wasn't like that. Man, when Bar- if, if Barnabas calls you, no matter what you were doing, no matter where you were, no matter what was at stake, you were answering that call. Why? Because he's going to encourage you. He's going to have a w- word of advice for you. He's going to have some way to help you. It doesn't matter if you're sitting at dinner with your family. It doesn't matter if you're you know, in the boardroom closing that multimillion-dollar deal that you've been working on for years. You're going to be like hey, hold on just a minute, I gotta, it's Barnabas, I'll be back, right? That's how important it would be to be Barnabas. That's the kind of person that you wanna be. Let me ask you the question, do you pass the caller ID test? Like when your name comes up on someone's caller ID, do they answer it? Or do they just push you to voicemail? Like when your name comes up on caller ID, do they think, what do they want? Or do they think, oh, I gotta get this. They're gonna be helpful. Hey, parents, when you call your kids, what's it like? What do they think? Kids, when, when you call your parents, what do your parents think? They need more money? Or are they just calling to check in on me? Like, like what is it? Do you pa- Barnabas passed the caller ID test, and that's the kind of people that we want to be. Now, now, we see that, we see that in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says that, it says that none, none of the things that belonged to them as his own, but they had everything in common. Now, the word for in common means to share. It just means to share. And it's the idea that we get for sharing. I think we all, we all think that sharing's a good character quality, don't we? Like all of our parents taught us to share. And we might not share. But we all were taught to share. I can remember when I was a kid, I would go get my hair cut. I was four or five years old. And Tony Catania, Mr. Tony, cut my hair. And every time after you got your hair cut, he had a little jar with dum-dums in it. The little suckers in it, you know. And I would get one out. And then I would say, can I have one for my sister? That's where you say, aww. Now, I outgrew that pretty quick, um, and then I would take two, but I wouldn't give one to my sister, but um, just kidding. But, but we all know there's just this value that comes in sharing. There's this value that happens. This is a character quality that we all want to be known for, and this is what it means to be, have things in common. It means that they had things to share. Now, the word for generous in the Bible is this word that means unfold. So think about this for a minute. So, so like, if you have a blanket and it's folded up and you want to use it, you unfold it. If you think about a flower, a flower and its petals, it's folded up. But when it's ready, it blooms and you see its beauty. Man, you unfold something so that it can be used for the purpose with which it's intended. So generosity, for you and for me, generosity is just unfolding our life to add value to others. Like, we unfold our lives. We unfold our, our time and we unfold our energy, we unfold our attention, we unfold our affection, we unfold our wallets for people so that we can add value to people. You know, it means letting people go first. It means letting people go first. I had this experience yesterday. It made me think of generosity. Debbie and I went out, um, to, to, went to a restaurant, and as we got there, it's crowded, right? So you know there's going to be a line. And so you want to get your name on the waiting list. And so I'm going to park and, you know, there was a parking spot right by the door, but I don't ever do that because I want some of you guys to be able to park right by the door. I want to walk, right? So, or maybe I didn't see it. And so I end up parking on the, at the backside of the parking lot and someone else parked in that close spot. And as I'm walking down the sidewalk to go in and put my name on the list, I notice that they look at me and they rush inside real quick so I can get their name on the list first. And what they did not know, I dropped Debbie off to put the name, my name on the list first. <laughs> I didn't really, but, and I was like, you know what? That, that's me. I do that. I don't want to have to wait an extra 20 minutes to eat, but someone who's generous, who just has this lifestyle of generosity, man, they just, whatever, they unfold their lives to add value to other people. Now, now there's this great story um, in history that kind of gives us this really great image of what this could look like. So in the, in the 1600s, there was a, a czar of Russia named Ivan the Great. Now, now he was the very first one that, that brought together and united what was used to be uh, the Soviet Union. You, some of you guys remember that from history before it, crippled, before it crumbled, um, before Mr. Gorbachev tore down that wall. And so the guy who put those together was a guy named Ivan the Great. Now, Ivan was busy doing, you know, some nations he was having to conquer and it was through military victory. Some of it was just through diplomacy. But as he's doing this and consolidating his power, like his advisors got concerned that he, he wasn't married and he wasn't going to have an heir and that everything that he fought for was just going to crumble. And so they just came to him and says, Ivan, we, we need to get you a wife. You need to have an heir. You need to have a son so that you can hand this thing down. He's like, well, well, I don't have time for that. So why don't you go and find me a wife and then that'll be fine with me. Married at first sight. Very first time it ever happened. Y'all haven't seen that show, right? Um, they go to the king of Greece. The king of Greece has a daughter and they agree to marry. The, the only condition for Ivan, though, was that he had to become a member of the Greek Orthodox Church. I was like, hey, no problem. So they send a priest to Moscow, take him through the catechism, he trains, ready to go. So the time comes where he begins to go to Greece to be uh, married and so that he'll also obviously be um, in royalty there. He's gonna go through his baptism when he gets there and 500 of his best soldiers go with him. Man, his bodyguard, special forces. So they make the trip all the way to Greece And his soldiers tell him, like, if you're gonna get baptized, we wanna get baptized. And they're like, great. So they have 500 priests, train these 500 soldiers fairly rapidly in the catechism of the Greek Orthodox Church, and they prepare for baptism. So the soldiers in full regalia, full armor, ready to go, march out into the water. Priests, black robes, long hats, march out into the water. But there is a problem. The Greek Orthodox Church didn't allow soldiers to be members or baptized into the church. And so in this moment, they they didn't know what to do. So they just did this hasty round of diplomacy. And here's what they decided. That as as the soldiers were being dunked under the water, they would take their swords, pull them out, and hold them up in the air. And that the priests would dunk them under the water, but they would keep their swords out of the water so that their bodies got baptized but their swords didn't, so they could keep fighting. And some of us do hold our w- wallet out of the baptism waters. And we say, This is mine. I earned it. I've got plans for it. I'm going to spend it on me and the things that I want. And what happens is we end up not living a life of generosity because we don't really understand what was. was given to us. You see, when we begin to understand the grace of God, it's, it's not partial. It's total. It's total. See, grace generates generosity. Grace generates generosity. And we see this happen over and over. We see this is what happened in this passage. You know, there's a story that we see in the Bible that as people who encounter Jesus, they're completely and radically transformed. One of the great ones, is uh the story of Zacchaeus and some of you may have how many of you guys like grew up going to church and you know the Zacchaeus song right a handful of you but you know this is how it goes and for those of you who didn't grow up going to church you missed some things some things you did miss this is probably one that you would really wish you would have known right Zacchaeus was let's go a wee little man a wee little man was he He motions up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Right? Like this is the story. This is why I need to lead worship next week, too. So the story goes like this. Zacchaeus is a tax collector ostracized, marginalized, lonely because he he was considered a traitor to the Jewish nation. He He was extorting them, taking more money than he needed to take because he was a tax collector. But he hears about Jesus and he goes to see him. And when he gets there, there's a crowd of people and Zacchaeus was a wee little man, meaning he was short. And so he climbs up in a tree just to get eyes on this Jesus. He didn't even know what he was looking for. But he knew it had to be better. And he sees Jesus and Jesus sees him. And when Jesus sees him, he says, hey, come on down. I'm going to eat your house. So Jesus goes to his house, probably the first time in years that he'd been around, been around a Jewish person in a social setting. And Jesus begins to tell him about the kingdom and about the gospel and the sacrifice for him. And he says, today you become, become a son of Abraham. In other words, today you're in the family. And Zacchaeus says, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give away half of everything that I own to the poor half he says and if I have robbed anybody if I've extorted from anybody I'm gonna pay them back four times as much like he went over and above what needed to happen right right the rules of the Jewish religion would have said hey there's a small amount of restitution you should pay but grace had so captured his heart he went over and above and so many times what happens for us is like, hey, what's the rules about giving? What is it that I need to give? Like, what is it? What is it? Like, just tell me how much, and then I'll be in, and we'll all be fine. And certainly there are some parameters, some boundaries. So, so in the Bible, you have this thing called the tithe. Anybody heard of the tithe before? Tithe literally means 10%. Okay, 10%. It's not $20. It's not whatever you give. It is literally means 10%. So if you have a number, you just multiply it by what? 0.1. It's 10%. And so, so what happens is as a starting point, the Bible gives us a starting point to give to be 10%. Like So what you give is you give 10% of, of the first, of the beginning. So the question is always, is that gross or net, Stephen? 10% of gross or net? I'm like, hey, how much of that wallet are you holding out of the water, pal? Come on. And so 10% of everything that God has given us, but then it, it goes up from there then, then it, that just helps guide us and move us towards being generous people. So let me ask you this question. What do you think the percentage is for someone who is generous? Like, what does a number have to be? Like, if you, if you look at someone's giving and the percentage that they gave, what number would you have to see for it to be considered generous? Well, well it depends, doesn't it? You know, if I'm a single mom with two jobs and three kids and a husband who doesn't pay anything or, or their dad's father that doesn't pay anything, like, guess what? Generous is not, is not the same as someone who's nearing retirement at the top of their earning game. You know, and for a single mom in that situation, man, $10 a week may be, may be extremely generous. That reminds me of my mom, which reminds me of this story in the Bible about the widow's mite. That's why I'm crying, because of my mom. My mom was like this, but maybe you've heard this story, but there's a time when Jesus is in the temple and people are bringing all their offerings, and they would make a big deal out of it, and they would pour all these coins into these metal receptacles and make a lot of noise. So the more you gave, the more noise you made and the more notice you got. And so, this after everybody had gone through, kind of towards the end of the line, everybody's kind of made their way out of the offering place, except for Jesus and some of his disciples. And this little widow walks up, puts a little coin in, less than a penny, is what it says. And Jesus looks at her and said, "She gave more than any of them, because she gave all she had." See, it's going to look different for all of us, but we have to ask ourselves a question, right? A- am I generous? Am I generous? Is this what generosity looks like? And grace generates generosity. That's what happens. But not only that, generosity generates grace. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, it says this, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Grace was upon them all. So, so this is how it works. So, so I've been given grace. And then if I'm generous, what happens? It creates generosity in me and I give. And that generosity in me now lands into someone else's life. And so that generates grace in them. You follow this? You follow this? Like as I'm generous... As I receive grace, it comes into me, I recognize what I have, I recognize what I've been given, I recognize the power of the gospel, and that grace comes in me, well, I'm going to be generous naturally because that's what's happened to me. And so because I'm generous, it's going to actually generate grace in someone else. And then that grace that's in them generates generosity, and their generosity generates grace in someone else, and it just keeps going, and it just keeps going, and it just keeps going. Jesus said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse nine, Jesus said that, or Paul wrote this about Jesus. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor for our sake so that you in his poverty could become rich. Like this is the same, the same perpetuation that happens. So it's like a quick story that came out of that City about this great example of this. So they did 21 nights a night church. Some of you know this. Um, and, and what that means is for 21 days straight, they had church they are crazy. I'm just saying, but they had church 21 nights. Now, now they're meeting in a hotel, right? They're meeting in a hotel and that's not free. Like hotel and say, Hey, yeah, you can just meet here for 21 nights. No big deal. No, that costs some money. And they're like kids, you know, kids think they have money, but they don't. And so, uh, they have, they, they go ahead and they do that. And man, you start seeing life stories happen over and over and over again. And then towards the end, Right On the last day, there was one young man who had come to, to night church multiple times. God had just done a work in his life and he walks up and he gives, he gives a check to Elevate City. Has no idea. right? He's just like, hey, God's done some work. I've got some. He gives it. And that check that he gave unknowingly just gave out of faith without any conversation about how much it cost or anything. That check covered the cost of night church for 21 days. Come on somebody. And at night church they had the lady that came down that is watching somewhere else now, just happened to be at the hotel. There was a homeless man that showed up on day two, that he came and gave his life to Christ on day two, volunteered for the rest of the time. Then during that time, they found him a home. And on day 21, he got a job, right? Because people were generous. Man, and there's just story after story after story, whether it's here in our student ministry where we've just seen God have life changed. Or maybe it's the family I talked to at the egg hunt who was like, hey, this this church saved my marriage. Listen, that's what happens when you're generous, right? That's what happens is that grace generates generosity and then our generosity generates grace in people. And these are the stories that you have been writing and you didn't even know it. This is the grace of God that comes into our life. Let me ask you this question What is God's grace generating in your life? Like if you just looked at your life, you examine your life like, what is God's grace generating in your life? Man, is God's grace generating encouragement? Man, is it generating life change? Is it helping you pass the call or ID test? Like, what is God's grace generating in your life? Or is it just for nothing? Have you just received God's grace and kind of holding it to yourself and believing that, that, that it's just for you? Like what is God's grace generating in your life? And many times what we need to be asking is not like how much I'm giving, but like is there something I'm missing about God's grace? The place to start is what is God's grace doing? What part of God's grace do I understand? What part of God's grace do I not understand? Because there, there's, it's funny, in, um, when someone is, is not... Generous, you know what you call them. Like, like what you'd like to call them is selfish. That's a sanitized word for it. You know what you know. You know what people who aren't generous are, according to the Bible, greedy. That hurts, doesn't it? Ooh, I feel greedy. He called me greedy. I did not yet. So just think about this. Like I, as a pastor, I, I have some man, I feel like I've got the best job in the world. But but there are times it's difficult. And so there's times when people come in and they've just made some really, really dreadful mistakes. Man, some sin. And I've had people come in just to talk to me about them. Hey, you know, I cheated on my spouse. Or, hey, I got got arrested for this illicit behavior. Or, man, I've got this addiction that's hidden. Or, Or any number of things. I've never had. this church even before like I've never had anybody come into my office say Stephen I got something to tell you you're not gonna believe it I think I might be greedy like nobody does that nobody thinks they're greedy you may call yourself selfish but are you greedy has this different connotation but if Jesus talked about money 10 to 20 times more than he talked about anything else then maybe for us, it just should be maybe a working hypothesis that maybe this could be a problem for us. So watch what happens in Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter six, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor, okay? So Paul's trying to help train him up. And Paul says this in 1 Timothy, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now let me unpack this for just a second. Like he says, as for the rich in this present age, hey, that's you. That's, that's me. Rich just means we have more than we need. Now, now, the way that we classify rich generally is like, do I have more than that person? If I see that person has a bigger house or more expensive car, then I think they're more rich than I am. But hey, if you have more than you need, then you're rich. So think about this. Like, if you have a car, you're rich. If you ever go to get gas and you just swipe your card, but you don't even notice the amount, anybody, you're rich. If you just run to the grocery store just to buy whatever you're you're rich. And that's not bad. It's not an insult. It's just a reality. Like in this world, we, we, we are rich because we have stuff. You know, even, even our kids are rich. Even our kids are rich. I used to make the joke to my kids like this. My daughter came in once when she was in high school. And she's like, Dad, turn the air conditioner down. We are not poor. <laughs> I said, let's just get this straight. I am not poor, but you are. But the truth is, even our kids, comparatively speaking. So we just need to recognize that. And so Paul goes on to tell Timothy, he says, tell them to do good, to be rich in good works. Do good stuff. Help people out. Then he says this, be generous and ready to share. Share means unfolding your life for the good of other people. And what happens, you're storing up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that, of that which is truly life. And what happens to us? Stuff becomes our life and life becomes our stuff. Like, do you know how much stuff you have? Like, the last, we, we, we moved in the fall and we've been in our house for 17 years. Do you want to know how much stuff I had in that house? Like, I can remember when my kids were younger And we got, you know, the PlayStation 2 was a new game at the time. I think now it's PlayStation 10, but PlayStation 2 is a new game at the time. I can remember buying that. And then, and then games at that point, games at that point were like $35, $40. I mean, like now they're like 75, 80 roughly. And I can remember thinking, they'll never have a game to play. I can't afford it. And then as I'm moving y'all, I'm going through my house and I start collecting PS2 games, PS3 games, PS4 games, I start collecting cell phones and I've got like a billion of these things that we've collected. Have you ever done the clean out and just all the things that we accumulate, the junk that we have, the storage units that we rent where we store stuff that we don't even know we have anymore? And we we just, the inertia of stuff is just more stuff and we just have stuff and we forget about it. And it's hidden from us. This is why Paul tells Timothy, when he says, ch- he says, charge them, what he's saying is, warn them. So I feel like maybe for us, for many of us, we, like, we need to be warned. I need to be warned. You need to be warned. Your life's not in your stuff. So, so how do you know if you're greedy or not? Like, what's the greedy test? I think there's a couple of ways you could look at it. Like, you, you might be greedy if you, if you say this to yourself, I'm going to give when, fill in the blank. I'm going to give when I reach that next level. I'm going to give when my kids graduate. I'm going to give when I have more. And what you're saying is that it's yours right now, and then later you're going to let God have it. And maybe that you might be greedy. Here's another one that people will say, like, I don't know what they do with the money, right? I don't know what they do with the money. Like, does Stephen have a jet? I don't have a jet, my plane has propellers, just so you know. No, really, I really have a helicopter, but I don't, right? I don't know what to do with money. We, we've just shown you kind of what happens with the money. And here's what I would say too about giving that's so important for us to understand is that you know as we look in the Bible, God has ordained one organization, one vehicle to change the world, to be the, to be the dispensers of hope, and that vehicle is the church. So the principle we see in the Bible is the first place that you give is the church. That's the place that you give. Listen, I've had a kid go to private school. It's not private school. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't tithe to the private school. I don't tithe to parachurch ministries. Like even though I, I give money to them, but that's not the primary place that we're to give if we follow Jesus. That's not how that works. Now, and for you, maybe you're, this is new for you. And here's what I would say. If there's any level of doubt or mistrust of, of me personally or of the church at all, I just would challenge you, just give it to any church. Doesn't have to be this church. Now, I feel pretty confident with what we're doing and the life that we're, lives that we're changing. And I can introduce you to people who would say thank you. But maybe don't let that be, because if, if that's kind of your argument, then maybe, maybe you're one of the ones that needs to be warned. There's another way that we, we look at look, look at it. And some people sometimes will ask, like, when I get to the whole gross net question, they're really asking the question. Greed says, "How much do I have to give?" Right? How much do I have to give? Like, what's the requirement? How, how do I know I'm good? Like, how can I just put this behind me? But you know what generosity says? Generosity says, how much do I have to give? Like, what has God given me to give? How much of what I have do I get to give? Because when you begin to understand the power of your generosity and impact it's making, you're like, hey, I just, I just want to help. I just want to have value. I just want to see what's going on. Like, I just want to be that kind of person who gives and is a generous person who adds value to people. Let me ask you this: are you, do you, would you say you're greedy or generous? Like, just how would you say it? Do you think about spending money on yourself more than you do spending money on other people? Now, I know one of the beautiful things about talking about giving today is that, you know. You, you've seen what we've accomplished in just the last year, most difficult year of our lives. And, and some people say, well, you just preach on money when you need it. Now, I know I'm not preaching on money because we need it. I'm preaching on money because you need it. I'm preaching money because I need it personally. Because, man, I need to understand the level of what God has given me. And if I, am I generous? And if we just keep doing the same thing, we'll fall into this trap. We'll always think that And anything else that comes outside of this little amount that I give is for me. And it's not. Man, it's for God. It's for God. See, Jesus always knew that giving was a heart issue. For Jesus, it was always a heart issue. You know, he said this, where your treasure is, where your heart is, right? Like, we know this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we see Paul writing again. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, he's talking about heart. Now, what can happen is we'll be like, you know, if I don't feel feel cheerful, then I shouldn't give. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you don't feel cheerful, you need to get cheerful, is what he's saying. He's like, if I feel like it's compulsion or I feel like someone's trying to convince me of something. No, 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 He's, he's saying you shouldn't feel that way. You should feel like it's been freely given to you. And that you should freely give. And man, God is so interested in your heart. Man, that, that's, that's what he's after. And he knows that your stuff's gonna follow your heart every single time. Man, if I could just stand here and continue to tell stories of life change and tell stories about what God has done and tell stories about how you can have an impact and stories about the kind of person you wanna be. I, I know that that's the kind of person you wanna be, but sometimes there's some things that hold us back. And Jesus knew that he had to go after it In order to get our hearts completely. Let me ask this question. How do you want to be known? How do you want to be known? Someone who lets others go first? Someone who unleashes other people into their calling? And someone who lifts others up? Someone who's there for someone when everyone else has left them? Someone who will answer the phone when you call? How do you want to be known? Let's pray together. God, I'm just grateful for all that you have given us. Lord, I just want to say thanks that in a year of turmoil and chaos, man, that we have some stability in the gospel. And God, that you have allowed us to accomplish so much. God, that we've seen so much life change, that we've seen people who were in darkness come to know you. We've seen people who were walking in death come to life. And God, you've just taken just what's temporary and you've turned it into eternal over this last year. And God, I just... Man, I'm just grateful. Thanks for the students who've just been, uh, man, inspired and have come alive in our services. Man, thank you for kids who've been able to come to camp and their families have been able to get connected. And they've been able to have a different kind of year than they would have had without, it, without the gospel, without understanding what it means. Lord, I'm just grateful for that and want to celebrate that, God. But, Lord, we know that we're just beginning. And, God, I just want to pray today, maybe, just maybe. You know, we need to just kind of remember what we've got, Lord. That there's single moms here who don't have much, but there are some people here literally with a million dollars in some stock investment account somewhere, and that, that's something that they could give and leverage for the kingdom. And God, that we would just be faithful to let you judge what we have and how, and you guide us into how we should give that, Lord. But, God, more than anything, our hearts would be generous. Man, we'd be so captured by affection for Jesus, by the grace that he has given us, by the opportunities that we have to pour that out, that it would just generate more grace. God, that we would just see more life change. Lord, we know we're not done. And we know there's days ahead where we may be a little uncertain about how they're going to unfold. But, man, we know that we're going to unfold our lives. And in eternity, we'll get to tell the stories. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.